0: Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you today. My name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we love having you with us uh, this morning. If you've got a Bible, uh, I want to invite you to take it and turn to John chapter 11. Uh, It's in the New Testament, uh, the fourth book there. Uh, John was a disciple of Jesus, uh, spent a lot of time with Jesus, and thankfully he has recorded uh, for us a lot of the uh, events and teachings of Jesus. And uh, we've been looking at those uh, all this year as we've been in this series called Grow, just working through the book of John. We're going to take a couple of more weeks in John and then take a break for the summer to do something else and then we'll resume and finish up John beginning in August. It's going to take us all the way through Thanksgiving again. One of the things, well two things we're praying is just number one that the Lord would grow us in our faith uh, as individuals. I want him to grow my faith. I hope you want the same for yourself but we just want Him to keep growing our church family, growing us close together in relationships. Uh, certainly centered around Jesus. So John chapter 11 today is where we're going to be. I told you a little bit about myself last week. Uh, We talked about Enneagrams and things like that. uh, Another fun fact, I majored in history uh, in college, and more than once my wife Jenny has asked me, what in the world were you going to do with a history major? To which I would always reply, well, be a historian, duh. Like, you know, that's... uh, But honestly, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do with that, but thankfully it kind of helped out with the... Uh, The plan the Lord had for my life, but uh, if you do have any questions about history, don't ask me because I probably don't know, all right? There's just like history's a lot, right? I mean, it's like everything that's ever happened up to this point. So again, but here here are some things I do know. Here's one of the things I do know. I do know who this is. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, you probably know uh, who this is as well, one of the founding fathers, the principal author of the Declaration of Independence, the third president of the United States. But did you know that Jefferson had a profound interest and appreciation for the teachings of Jesus. But but there's a catch, and maybe you've heard this before. Jefferson grew up in a period of time commonly called the Enlightenment, uh, which promoted and encouraged a form of thinking that valued reason and logic and individualism above things like faith. And so, apparently, the Enlightenment had such a profound impact on Jefferson's life and his faith, so much so that in February of 1804, he went to work really with a pair of scissors, creating his own abridged version of the Bible. And when I say abridged, I mean he literally cut out all of the stories that contained miracles. Like you could say that Jefferson was a really big fan of the ethics and teachings of Jesus, but not the supernatural aspects that he saw in Scripture, so he removed them by literally cutting them out of the story. And today, the Jefferson Bible includes the teachings of Jesus but excludes miracles like the virgin birth, the resurrection, and 34 distinct miracles that Jesus performed in between. In the words of one historian, if a moral lesson was embedded in the miracle, the lesson survived... But the miracle didn't. And just to show you what I mean, here's a picture of, uh, from the library of his very own Bible uh, that he took the scissors to. Again, cutting out different portions. So as you can imagine, and again, if you've been following along in John or if you're familiar with the book of John, when Jefferson got to John's gospel, man, he kept his scissors busy cutting away because his faith was incapable of believing in the miraculous, uh, Jefferson's version of the Bible, it ends, believe it or not, with the stones still standing in front of the tomb. So in Jefferson's Bible, Jesus died on the cross, but he never rose from the grave, which is kind of crazy, you know, especially as a follower of Jesus when you think about it, because the truth is, without the resurrection, Jesus is no different than any of us. All right, John chapter 11 today, we're going to look at an event that didn't survive. Uh, Thomas and Jefferson's cut uh, uh, when it comes to his Bible, which is really too bad because it's one of the most amazing miracles that Jesus ever performed leading up to his resurrection. I'll just go ahead and give you the spoiler alert. This is Jesus raising Lazarus, uh, a man named Lazarus from the dead. And we're going to get to that in just a moment, but before we jump into that, uh, let's look back at John chapter 10 for just a moment, all right? And, and we looked at that the last couple of weeks. In John 10:31, we learn that the Jewish leaders are ready to stone Jesus. And if that sounds familiar, that's because that's how chapter 8 ended a few weeks ago. So we're starting to see this pattern emerge in Jesus' life that centers around some serious tension with the Jewish religious leaders. And all this tension leads us to an important detail in John chapter 10, verse 40, when we read, then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John, John the Baptist, that is, had been baptizing in the early days, and John records there Jesus. Jesus stayed. Basically Jesus needs to get out of Jerusalem. All right. and, and he goes to a place, and, and just to kind of bring you up to speed, what's happening here, and if you remember over the past weeks, Jesus is really, he's going to spend most of his time between two different locations, Jerusalem here in the center of the country, the capital, and Capernaum to the very far north. But Jesus, according to John chapter 10, verse 40, is going to leave Jerusalem, he's going to go to the east, about 20 to 25 miles, cross the Jordan River to a place that is known as Bethany beyond the Jordan. Again, and this is about a 25-mile trip from Jerusalem. It's not to be confused with this other Bethany that sits about a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem. You literally can stand in Bethany and look down through the Kidron Valley to the city of Jerusalem. This Bethany is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus are from. And so keep this in mind. We don't want these to get confused, but they are two important places in the story today. Let's pick it up in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, here's what John the disciple records for us. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, suburb of Jerusalem, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, this Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So we read then, so the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. All right, now remember Jesus is in Bethany beyond the Jordan, 20 to 25 miles away. This is the first time that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are mentioned in John's gospel. But if you read in places like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you learn that these three are like family to Jesus. They are very close friends. And while Capernaum was based for Jesus when he was spending time around Galilee, Bethany in many ways was based for him when he was in Jerusalem. And so Mary and Martha are sending a message, a messenger really, to Jesus to let him know that their brother Lazarus is sick, but in their message, they don't use Lazarus' name. If you note from John's words, he records, the one you love is sick. Now, the word used for love here is one of several Greek words for love. This is the word phileo, which is a word used to describe the the type of love exhibited between best friends. If you know the word Philadelphia, uh, it's two words, brotherly love. These guys are like brothers. They are that close so basically these two sisters want Jesus to know that they're really good that his really good friend Lazarus is sick and so you kind of get this sense all right hoping that Jesus they at least were hoping that he might come and be able to do something about it let's keep reading verse four it says when he heard this Jesus said this sickness will not end in death No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Again, you get the idea that Jesus is going to respond. He's going to do something. And you'd expect him to turn around and start heading back towards the village of Bethany where Lazarus is sick. But that's not what happens. Skip over to verse 6. John writes, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days days nice Jesus I mean if he loves this family at least the way that John is describing like wouldn't you expect him to drop everything at once and head off to their house but he's not doing that Lazarus is sick and Jesus is gonna delay two more days which just brings up an interesting question that have you ever found yourself in a moment in a crisis you're desperate, you feel stuck, and you're just waiting on Jesus, and it is silent. Like maybe you lost a job, and you know what that's like immediately, those feelings and that terror, that fear comes rushing in about how are we going to pay for things, and you reach out to Jesus, and it just, it just doesn't feel like he's listening, or uh, maybe a, a crisis came into your marriage. Uh, you got a report, you got a diagnosis that was not good. Uh, a family member has gotten really terrible news and, and you know where to turn, you know where to go, but it's just, it's the waiting and the lack of response. I mean, if you've ever lost a loved one before to a tragedy and you wonder like, where, where was Jesus in that moment? Like, where was he when that all took place and everything seems to be falling apart again? You beg Jesus for help. He's nowhere to be found. I think we've all been there, right? We've all had moments, kind of crisis of of faith in our life, the questions, the hurt, and it's hard. John tells us that Jesus waited two days before doing anything to help this family that he loves so much, which doesn't sound so good, but before we go making any assumptions, let's keep reading. Verse 6, again, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days and then said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea two days later, And look at how they replied, but Rabbi, teacher, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were wanting to go back. So for the record, all right, for the record, Jesus admits, excuse me, I got off my notes here. Uh, Okay, now we get, what did I do here? I I missed my own notes. There we go. Now, we get an entirely different perspective, all right, from the guys that Jesus is traveling with. They knew Jesus loved Lazarus and his family, but they also remembered the last time they were in Jerusalem again that they almost died. Let's continue. Verse 11. That's what do we want to do next. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps he will get better. So Jesus says sleep, but we're not to confuse this, that Jesus literally means death. Jesus, well, what he's doing here is he's demonstrating divine knowledge, realizing that Lazarus has already died, and also, though, knowing that death is not the end of the story. Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So for the record, Jesus admits that he waited two days on purpose, and now he's saying, let's go, let's go to Lazarus, all right, that Lazarus has died during that time, others are going there, but let's go and we will believe, let's go so that others can believe. And, and if I could just stop there for a moment, like if we're honest, like again, this is, this is challenging to get your mind around when you think about the delay and what Jesus knew and how he's thinking about this moment. And again, his desire is that God will be glorified in it. But faith, when you think about it, faith and trusting Jesus doesn't always make sense, does it? I mean, things don't always go as we planned, as we hope for. Like, God doesn't operate on the same schedule as you and I do. He doesn't always act the way that we think he should. But trust me, Jesus is not being reckless. He's not messing with people's emotions here. He's already told us, again, that God will be glorified through this. And if you've ever wondered if Jesus really cares about what we think, about what we feel, and about what, we go, or what we're going through. Well, keep reading with me. Verse 17, here's what John writes. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And that's an important detail for a couple of reasons, all right? Because if you remember, as we pointed out here, this journey from Jerusalem or even Bethany to Bethany beyond the Jordan is likely a two-day journey by foot. And so think about this. Lazarus was sick. Mary and Martha decide to send a messenger to find Jesus. That's a two-day trip. Once you get there and tell Jesus, you turn around and head back, that's another two-day journey from Bethany beyond the Jordan back to Bethany where Lazarus lies dead and back then when you died you were immediately taken to the tomb the bottom line is this Lazarus probably died the day the messenger left to go find Jesus if you're tracking with me Jesus delay was not the cause of Lazarus' death. But there's something else significant about four days, and that is that back then, there was a well-known Jewish belief that the soul of a person would hover near the tomb for a period of three days with hopes of re-entering the body. But after three days, the body would start to decay and they believe that's when the soul would finally leave for good. When John tells us that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days, he's letting us know Lazarus isn't on life support here. He's dead, like really, really dead. Verse 18, Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Gary Burge is a a scholar when it comes to the book of John. He explains the ancient period of mourning, which lasted seven days, called in the Hebrew Sheba. And and it commenced with the burial, which typically took uh, took place the very same day as the death. And we assume that Lazarus would have been buried in a tomb uh, with a rock stone uh, cut like this, which can be seen uh, not this specific tomb, but here's one of the tombs still preserved in in Israel today. And so, Lazarus is likely in a tomb like this. And inside, you would find burial benches that were carved into the stone in the inner wall. The body was prepared there, and then it would uh, be laid in horizontally cut uh, burial tunnels about six feet deep, left there to compose. After a year or so, the body would be removed. The Bones would be placed in a limestone box. The tomb would be closed and could be reopened uh, with the wheel shaped rolling stone fitted to cover the entrance in the stone channel. I'm just painting a picture for you because if you can imagine Jesus, here he is, he arrives on the outskirts of Bethany, Lazarus is in the tomb, it's closed. As John records, there is loud wailing and crying and mourning going on, which in the Eastern world was very common. In fact, the louder the commotion, the more honor and esteem of the individual that died. And what happens in verse 21? Well, Martha comes to Jesus, again, this is Lazarus' brother, and says to Jesus, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. I want to stop there for just a second because I have a feeling that we can all relate to Martha's pain on some level. She goes to Jesus, and again, note her words, if you had been here, basically, things might be different. In fact, my brother might still be alive. Have you ever had an if-only moment with Jesus? I'm guessing we all have. Let's in fact try and finish this sentence together. Jesus, if only you had You fill in the blank. If only you had helped me pass that exam. Man, how things could be different. If Jesus, if only you had helped my parents stay together. Jesus, Jesus, if only you had protected me when I was younger. Jesus, if only you had helped us catch the symptoms earlier. Jesus, if only you had We've all been there, right? We've all got a story. Some of you, in fact, might be there right now. It's a tough place to be. And, well, it's a place where oftentimes we wonder you know, what's the delay? What's the reason? What's the point? That seems to be how Martha's feeling. And later in verse 32, Martha's sister Mary says the same thing. Jesus, if only you had been there, my brother would still be alive. And these two sisters aren't alone because in verse 37, we find that many of the Jews that were there uh, mourning with them were basically wondering the same thing. Verse 37, John writes, but some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And so it's almost as if everyone's looking at Jesus. They've heard the stories. They've seen some of the miracles, and they're wondering to themselves, couldn't you do something? Or, in fact, if you would have gotten here sooner, this could have all worked out differently. Again, let's look back at at Jesus' conversation with Martha for just a moment. Again, uh, verses 21 and 22. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but then also look at the other side of it. Verse 22, she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I think there's something important to learn from Mary, Martha's response here. And really, it boils down to faith and really what faith looks like. Because on the one hand, she voices her disappointment that Jesus hadn't gotten there in time. But in her next sentence, she expresses faith in Jesus' power to bring something good from it. Belief in Jesus. Again, is one of the key things that's re- key themes that's repeated over and over again in John's gospel. And we and we see Martha modeling her belief in Jesus, all right. In fact, in spite of her pain, disappointment, and even her doubt. And look at how Jesus responds to her, verse 23. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And there's there's something important to note here too, because Martha's really verbalizing her theology in Jesus, and it's good theology and when Jesus tells her that Lazarus will indeed rise again, she says, I know, I know that's that's a part of this, that we can look out into the future and one day there is gonna be a great resurrection in the last day and so she's affirming her faith in God's power to raise her brother at the end of of time, which was and still is a common Jewish belief and the resurrection of the dead is also an important doctrinal teaching that's affirmed by Jesus, but in Martha's eyes, it's not enough because her brother's dead, and the resurrection is this far off future event, and I don't think she's alone either because i've thought the same things and you probably have too like isn't this how many of us view death that like once death is done it's it's final right it's it's final and it can't be undone and and when we lose a lo- loved one we we comfort each other with things like you know we will say things like well i know they're in a better place now or or you're going to get to see them again one day and ultimately that's true right it's very true it's true for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But if you, if you keep reading, you find that Jesus views death much differently than we do. Look at his response to her. You've likely heard these words before. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He asked them, do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection of life. It's one of seven I am statements that Jesus makes in John. And it's important to note that Jesus doesn't say, I have resurrection and life, or I understand resurrection and life. No, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life which means to know him is to know resurrection and life, and to have him is to have the power of the resurrection and the life in you. I like how N.T. Wright summarizes this saying, Jesus is letting Martha know that resurrection isn't just a doctrine and it's not just a future fact. No, resurrection is a person and his name is Jesus. And this Jesus changes everything. Jesus is the game changer. He flipped everything upside down like Jesus is the one who's going to turn this funeral into a celebration. Go back and look at Jesus and his interaction with Martha again in verses 25 and 26 or right at the end of 26, what does he say to her? he says, do you believe this? He says, do you believe this? And look at her response, because it's good, verse 27. She says, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into this world. The word believe is used four times in verses 25 and 27. And I think that's important to note, because at one point Jesus gives Martha the opportunity to verbally express her belief in him as the resurrection and the life, and she does But there's still more to the story. Let's keep reading verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, again, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Note those two words. there are combinations of words, deeply moved and troubled. Deeply moved comes from a Greek word that means the venting of a fierce anger. It's often associated with an angry, snorting sound that an animal might make. The word trouble means to experience this great distress or to be agitated in your soul. John is using these words to show us that Jesus is expressing some, some serious emotion here. My friend Brad Gray explains that an appropriate word for Jesus' response in this moment is the word outrage. And just to be clear, he's not outraged at Mary or Martha or this crowd. No, he's outraged for them. Again, the idea here is that he's outraged at death. He's outraged at pain. He's outraged at the brokenness in our world. He's acknowledging the reality that the natural order of our world is broken by sin and death, but outrage wasn't the only emotion he expressed because in verses 34 and 35, he asked, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then what was Jesus' response? Jesus wept. And I want to point out here that Jesus' tears are not just for Lazarus because Jesus knows what's in store for Lazarus. He knows what's coming. His tears are connected to the anger and pain he feels so deeply. Take note of Jesus here. I, I think here's what we see, a couple of things. Number one, there are things that happen in this world that cause Jesus to weep. Even today, we see this in Jesus. And the other thing is this, there are things that happen in your life or that have happened to you that also cause him to weep. Think about that if you would. That even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he shows us here, he reveals to us here that he isn't immune to the pain that you and I feel. No, this Savior of ours, He understands your pain. He understands your hurt and questions. And most importantly, He feels my pain and He feels yours. Verse 38, John writes Jesus once more, deeply moved, there's those words again, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Jesus said, Take away the stone. But Lord said, Martha, the sisters of the dead man, uh, or the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. This is the second time that John mentions that Lazarus has been dead for four days. We talked about why that's important. But also, Martha knows by now that decomposition has started to set in, that there'd be an odor. In fact, the King James Version translates uh, this phrase by saying, "Lord, by this time he stinketh." Just plain and simple. That's how it says. The Lord, by this time, you can check it out for yourself. But uh, verse 40 here before we wrap up. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me i love the response of jesus in this moment that in the midst of their pain and grief and death jesus prays out loud to his heavenly father i know you hear me please help them believe you have sent me verse 43 when he had said this jesus called in a loud voice lazarus come out The word, Greek word here for loud voice can also be translated as a shout of raw authority. So Jesus wasn't just whispering for Lazarus to come out of the tomb. He was commanding death to release its hold on his friend Lazarus. Verse 44, then the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen. There was a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you imagine? Like, can you even imagine the shift of emotion uh, from grief to shock to amazement. Like, imagine the joy that Mary and Martha would have experienced at this moment. Imagine the tears and the crowd. But I've always wondered, too, what it was like for Lazarus. Like, what, what if when he died and went to heaven, like, again, he's enjoying just spending time with God and all of eternity with how great it's supposed to be, only then to be summoned back to the pain uh, of earth, right? I mean, I'm just saying, he might have been the only person, really, that wasn't partying, you know, or celebrating in this very moment. But, but, but this is an amazing miracle, And again, you'd expect everyone to respond to Jesus in awe and wonder, but if you keep reading, you'll discover for yourself, if you finish this chapter, that the religious leaders, they responded to this miracle, well, in about the same way that Thomas Jefferson did. And that is that instead of humbling and allowing the miracle to guide them to belief in Jesus for who he was, the Son of God and Savior of the world, they decided it was best to just cut him out of the story. And they began plotting to have Jesus killed. The only problem was they didn't realize that in raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus was providing an even greater miracle that he had been predicting for three years now, his own death, burial, and resurrection. Here's what I want you to hear today. The the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is either a man-made legend or it is indeed the greatest event that has ever taken place in all of history. And and, and how you view it really comes down to one simple word. It's the word belief. You know, in the Gospel of John, you know that word belief is used something like 98 times. In fact, at the end of the Gospel of John, John kind of provides his thesis statement for the book. We've looked at this uh, over the last few months. John says this, Here's why I put all these words together. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these that I've included are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And in John 11, Jesus doesn't just claim to be the resurrection and the life. He proves it by raising Lazarus from the dead. And as the resurrection and the life, Jesus is inviting every single one of us to place our faith in his death, his burial and resurrection in our place so that we can receive his forgiveness, his righteousness, and experience eternal life with God an eternal life that begins now and lasts for all of eternity. And it all boils down to faith and belief, belief in Jesus for who he is and who he says that he is and what he's done for us. Now, I don't know, I I know that many of us here have expressed our faith in Jesus Christ, in our place. We believe that He is the one and only Son of God, and we believe that in Him, there is only one way to be restored into a right relationship with God. But if we're honest, sometimes life's circumstances cause us to forget. We doubt. We lose faith. We lose hope. We forget that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And and we're like Martha. Like we believe, we believe in what's to come. But we struggle with what's right here. We forget. We forget that his resurrection power is available today. And it's available to everyone here, no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter the questions you may be asking. And so maybe we need to begin reminding each other, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he died in our place so that we could be forgiven and rise from the dead, but that we can experience his power today and tomorrow and for anything that we're going through, no matter what you're facing right now, no matter what you're standing up against, our faith, your faith, our hope, your hope is in Jesus as the power. He is the resurrection and the life. Look at her response one more time. In verse 27, Martha replied, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into this world. And I wonder if that's where we end today. And maybe what we pray. And maybe what you pray whatever it may be for you right now. I wanna give you just a moment and maybe you need to pray that prayer. Jesus, you know all things. You are Lord, I trust you. And I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. put your faith and trust in Christ. But it's time. And what would it mean for you to pray? Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Jesus, have your way. Have your way in this place and in our lives. Thank you for being a God who is intimately aware of all of the details and the pain and the struggles of our lives, that you do not delay, that you are always present, that you are the resurrection in life. The resurrection of the life has a name, it is Jesus Christ. And we need your power in our lives today. Increase our faith and our trust and hope in you. Have your way in lives throughout this room And maybe for that individual who has never trusted you as Savior and Lord. You are our hope. Our faith is in you. You are everything that we need. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.